Hey everyone, welcome to the Arsaholics podcast on a Tuesday. Are we on Tuesday? It's Monday. I'm, oh, mate, I've just absolutely <laughs> lost it. I mean, it's, the, it's the order of games. It's having a game on a Monday and on a Friday night. It's completely just destroyed. Yeah, Any, I, I wasn't even sure what day of the week it was. Yeah, today, I can confirm today is Monday. Yeah, today is and, Monday. And um, we play tomorrow. We play tomorrow. And by the time many of you would have listened to this podcast, it would have already been the game tomorrow and um and so we're not going to spend much time talking about the the Leeds Cup game but what we are going to do is revel on an amazing an amazing <laughs> Friday night okay like um I am still buzzing from what was just a glorious um victory I'm also still hanging from the aftermath <laughs> of that I mean how are you feeling Aaron I'm good I'm good I for various reasons didn't go as hard as you did but it sounded like you guys had a, a great night on Friday and um, after the game. Um, I did join you for a couple, but um, no, it was wicked. I think Friday was just, we, I've been saying for a while that at some point we need to start delivering more than just results and start delivering a performance. And this just felt like that performance where not only did we win, but we performed really well. And then, yeah, we, you know, I think Friday night, the good, you know, Friday night confuses you when you record a podcast, but the, the good thing is when you, um, when you want to celebrate a win, it's an, it's ideal circumstances because you don't, you don't usually have much to do the next day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we'll listen, we're, we're properly get onto the performance. Um, but you know, we are, um, Oh, can you hear my dog barking? Sorry. Dog's going crazy. Um, who wants to come on the podcast? Clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, we do the Arsholics podcast. We do really like to bring you the match day experience. We really like to talk about um, everything around that. And a big part of that, especially on a Friday night, was the festivities that happened pre game, post game. Um, we almost did a very, I feel I did anyway, did a big tour of the area almost because I actually started pre game drinking um, around Finsbury Park, which I don't normally do. So I was with my mate Jacket at the World's End in, in Finsbury Park. Um, it's a, it, it's, it's a different it's kind of one of those things that if you come from Highbury and Islington station and if that's the station that you always go to you basically never end up in that part of town in relation to the stadium but then post game we did the uh kind of exact opposite direction I suppose which was which was really interesting right because it's a Friday night and I think what we decided you know we're buzzing like the rest of the stadium what we decided was we would walk down Holloway Road towards Highbury and Islington station and and then and then drop in somewhere for a quick drink Pubs were heaving, though, weren't they, Aaron? I mean, like, it, yeah, they were all heaving. Everyone, everyone had the same idea. Exact same idea. And no, it was good because with one, I think people are much more open to carrying on and celebrating. And I also think, generally, this season just feels a bit different in terms of the vibe at home games. Yeah. I think people are just a lot more either excited to go to games, and I don't know if that's because of lockdown and people have missed it, or the fact that you know, this team is a bit more exciting maybe than previous years or or even just the fact that, you know, <laughs> we don't play twice a week anymore. And actually, you know, yeah, we see we see each other once every two, three weeks. And sometimes when you have an international break, you only go to, to the Emirates once once a month. So every game feels like a lot more like an occasion now. Um, but interestingly, I remember you saying to me that it felt a lot different compared to Monday night, which you went to, right? Yeah, M Monday night was different because I think there was weather that also played a part in that. 
you know it was oh, yeah, it was okay. it was cold it was wet etc but it was a monday <laughs> as well it was, yeah, a, it was yeah. a monday night so it was palpably different i definitely felt the atmosphere was 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 different um but but just echoing your point generally i do agree with that and i think in terms of the different vibe this season i think it is because of all the reasons that you mentioned i, I feel like one thing that gets underplayed a lot um is this growth story that everyone feels a part of that we haven't necessarily felt a part of in in many years now actually you know this is a very young team it's a young manager it's this evolution it's this kind of it's something where it feels like there was somewhat of a great reset and we're part of that and i think everyone in the stadium feels that they are growing and they are they are part of this journey and and i don't think you necessarily get that if you are um, not going to games, I think you, you, it's a, it's a it's a vibe that you seem to feel that you know, as a, as a collective of people who are coming game by game and seeing this growth, it's really fun to be a part of. And I think Friday, like you say, I think because of the performance, you know, it was a, it was a great performance. And it was Friday night. It was mm. kind of just this real big. It would this was worth it. See, we knew this was coming. We believed and 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 we delivered. Um, and we certainly did celebrate that long into the night. We were we were down towards Angel in the end. We actually got our first drink only around eleven thirty, I think. And given the game finished around ten, I mean, I think yeah, that because, was... yeah. I think the other thing was we noticed that this, is that they closed the station, yeah, yeah. for a bit. There's a massive queue outside Highbury and Islington Station. So I wonder if that meant even more people decided to, you know, just go and stay for an extra drink rather than queue up for the for the train so yeah it was it was fun it was a fun night and um plenty of combo as we got to angel and, and and started drinking in various pubs there i remember getting into lots and lots of conversations with arsenal fans about um about the game it was really interesting actually hearing so many different i mean lots of quite diverse views um mm. there was a you know obviously most people well, everyone was very happy with the result. I had some really good, interesting conversations about Laka's benefit in the team, like how you know the, what he brought, and and some people who weren't necessarily who weren't completely bought into what Odegaard is bringing the team. There was some really really fun conversations. Another fun conversation was one that we had with Mize. So Mize is in was in Spain. Um, <laughs> he was uh, in a in a great place, getting absolutely hammered, and um, and having some video calls with him we did try and go live on instagram as well which didn't last very long because none of us could hear anything um so that was a bit of a failed attempt so so apologies if you were any of the three people who did uh, join us on instagram live um but look mate look, whatever the case i guess we can you know point is everyone felt great it was a really great night um a really great night drinking around arsenal and 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 you know i i certainly I think I got home around three thirty in the morning. It was um, it was a real, real big night. Um, and let's talk about why we were in such a good mood. I mean, what this this performance tell me? Like you, you sort of touched on it. How does this performance rank with every performance this season? I think it was the best. Um, I know Spurs at home was, you know, in terms of what was at stake, there was far more at stake against Spurs. But in terms of how we played, I. I think we played really, really well, both attack going forward and defensively. And, you know, we were there. I don't know how it looked on TV, but Villa didn't have, didn't have a chance at all. We just completely nullified them as a team with our, with our way we defended, the way our intensity on the ball, the way we pressed them, the way we won back the ball, the way we kept them pen, like 
pen back in the box with the way we attacked. Um, and we scored and scored and created chances at regular intervals throughout the game. It wasn't just the usual start well for 10 minutes and fade. We started well, and then we just kept it going continuously. So I think this is up there with one of the best all-round 90-minute performances under Mikel Arteta. <laughs> Completely, completely agree. And I think we saw a bit, uh, uh, against Palace, you know, we said that first 20 minutes was okay. Um, and then there was a drop-off. For me, the performance level in the first 20 minutes against Villa was was even better and, and crucially, was just consistently executed. And it's interesting because Dean Smith made comments after the game where he, you know, he rightfully acknowledged. It's, it's very rare. It's very rare sometimes in the Premier League where you get another manager who goes, "Listen, the other team were just way better than us." Um, it's very rare when that happens, right? But but he didn't. He didn't shy away from saying, you know, effectively, not only did the best best team won, but I felt what was very interesting was he talked about the physicality of the Arsenal side. Mm. He he seemed to emphasize that element. He was just like physically, we were beaten by a team who were physically dominant over us, essentially. I found that an interesting thing, Sam. What do you think about that? Do you, did you get that feeling? Yeah, I felt like a large part of that was down to, I think, two, two main things. One was the addition of Lacazette into the team. Mm. Um, he really put himself about. He was, in and, you know, he was in and around the tackles. He was, you know, to use a classic phrase, he was quite streetwise in the, in the fact that he kind of went down and got a few Villa players booked. Um, and you know, it was you know, winning like constantly like up against the ref and like trying to win things. And I thought Villa were actually you know quite dirty themselves, but they, they couldn't really match our intensity, so they just had to resort to fouling players. Mm. Um, and and also then the midfield, the partnership of Partey and Lokonga, who up until now I don't think we'd really use Lokonga effectively, um, but it seemed like he was a lot more central this time and that meant that a we could get the best out of Lukonga because he's not drifting over to the left as much but then b it meant that we could also get the best out of Thomas Partey and I thought he was very good as well and then on mm-hmm. top of that I thought the back four I thought Tavares was lively I thought the center backs were both really really good um and so was Tommy Essu and I think it was just a defense you know we've, we've always had the defense being good and I think that's not news to us but we did defend well as a team and on top of that then going forward again Lacazette was instrumental in just being that link up play dropping deep going forward Abamyang was lively and then you know what can you say about Smith Rowe who was on another level as well totally can we just spend a second talking about that defense because I feel like we've, we've spoken about defense a number of times this season already because actually you know the, the new look the new five, the new back five, we've been very, very complimentary. But we have said that Kieran Tierney hasn't necessarily, um, you know, been at the heights going forward. You know, hasn't necessarily delivered going forward in the way that we've come to expect from him. And so we saw Nuno Tavares come in. Um, yeah, I think the narrative was that Tierney's picked up a knock because Tierney wasn't mm. wasn't on the bench. Um, but you know, I felt, <clears throat> excuse me, I felt there was no element in drop from defensive stability based on that change. Now, um, I have no doubt in my mind that at this point in time, Kieran Tierney is probably a better defensive left-back than, than Nuno Tavares. Nuno Tavares is a younger player. Like, you know, there's, he's still pretty raw. But, you know, before the game, um, when when people were asking me what I thought was going to happen in this in Villa game, 
I and I back this up by putting Aaron by keeping Aaron Ramsdale and Ben White in my dream team. I genuinely had no concerns from a defensive standpoint. I genuinely believed that we would control them. And I know that um, Villa have got some fairly fairly good players in attack. They've spent money on Buendia. They've spent money on Bailey. They've got, um, you know, Ollie Watkins, who, you, you know, he scored twice against us last season, um, you know, in the same fixture, I think. Um, but there's something about our defence that, for me, in my mind, I couldn't... Even against Palace, when we conceded a couple of goals, I still don't put that down to the the, the defenders. And I felt vindicated, actually, because watching how they performed, particularly in the first half, I mean, I mean, Aaron, and I think we had 13 shots in the first half. Villa had zero, zero in a half of football. How much yeah, of that do you was, think is down to that, to, to, to that, to, to the it defenders? Was, it, I'm not sure how much of it is down to the individual defenders themselves. I think, but... I think there's two things. One is that they look you know, the fact that we can play a consistent back four and a consistent the same goalkeeper, although we didn't really chop and change goalkeepers much last season, but the consistent back five, you can say, mm. um, is hugely beneficial. Um we you know, last season we always changed, you know, we weren't sure who our best centre back pairing was, we weren't sure who our best right back was, and it just meant that we had Kieran Tierney plus three others. Um and then and then Leonard, Kirintini, Leonard, and three others. Um, now it's, you know who the back five is. Arteta knows who the back five is. We know who the back five is. And it's very clear that unless there's an injury, those five players plus Partey will start every single game. And that just means that they figure each other out. They, you know, they learn more about each other. They, they know where each other's going to be. They cover for each other. That is just a lot more efficient. And yeah, and the other thing is, you know, this, if, if Kieran Tierney picked up a minor knock last season, it would have been a disaster. Mm. So fair play to the board, Edu Arteta, for identifying a backup right back, which is a really hard position to fill. Left back. You need yeah. To, yeah, sorry, backup left back, sorry. Um, because, which is a really hard position to fill because you need someone who can come in without much preparation and actually still do a job, but also still be happy to play second fiddle. Mm. And that... And he he was really good, I thought. He offered something slightly different because I think he's a lot more direct than Kieran Tierney, perhaps. Mm. You know, I don't think he's you know, I don't think he's definitely he's definitely not as good a left back, but I think he, he just picked his moments where he says, I'm just gonna run <laughs> and run really fast and hard into the box and then get the ball and I'm just gonna smash it as hard as I can and try and get it across the box. I don't think he ever found his man when he did try and square it. But every time he got in the box, he was just, I'm going to run to the touchline and square it. And that's all I'm going to do. And because he was so direct, he um, he just gave them something to worry about. And he's quite a tricky player. Mm. So, and he got in uh, shooting positions a lot. I think I can remember at least two or three times that he tried to shoot. I mean, he could probably got to work on that. But yeah, the fact that, yeah. you know, he was in those positions is, is really encouraging. So, yeah, I was, um, I was really pleased with that. And I think just generally as a team, we look, we look like an athletic team full of runners who, all over the pitch, are willing to work hard. And that, that goes all the way up to Aubameyang. Aubameyang's still working really hard defensively, tracking back, closing down. He's being really efficient. Lacazette came in, was doing the same, dropping deep, going up front. Smith-Rowe, Saka, Lukonga, Partey. Every, every single person in that team put a shift in. Mm. And that was really, really encouraging. 
Yeah, and for me, I think when you have a setup like you've just described where everyone is chipping in, when you do have a Kieran Tierney that has to step away and you put a Nuno Tavares in, the net impact is much less, right? Because it, it, you know, everyone everyone's pulling in a shift. It's not You're not so reliant on individual defensive qualities coming in. You've got a collective effort that's going on. And I really felt that. I really felt that... You know, we, we didn't lose anything defensively, and that's not a criticism of Tierney. That's more of a compliment of the system that's been created and this kind of familiarity like that you described that, you know, we have a core bunch. They know what they're good at. They know each other's movements, their paces, their, their, their strengths, you know, et cetera. Um, very encouraging. How, how would you compare the performances of Partey and Lokonga versus what we saw on Monday? Um, yeah, completely different. I mean, I think... I've I've always been quite open saying that I've not really been impressed with Lukonga that much. You know, especially compared to I think maybe you guys and social media generally very full of phrase. I still see him, him as being very, very raw. Mm. I think, you know, very much like when Doozy when he came in, I was like, okay, there's a lot of, you know, bits of good good things here, but especially defensively, I wasn't that impressed. But I think when I look back now, I think that was largely down to I read a great piece online, I can't remember who wrote it, I think, which was basically analysing what Lukonga was doing in this game versus what he was doing on Monday. And on Monday and in previous games, he was very much doing what Granit Xhaka was doing, which is coming across to the left-hand side and, and dropping deep. Um, now, that isn't so good because Lukonga is very right-footed. And it just means that you just that when he does that, you don't get the best out of him. And it has the, the other downside of leaving Thomas Partey on his own, where he tends to struggle a bit. But it seemed like on Friday, he was very much playing as a central midfielder, mm. as the partner to Thomas Partey. And, you know, I'm no tactical expert, but it very much looked like those two worked really hard and they closed, you know, they covered for each other, they interchanged with each other, and it just got the best out of both of them. So, um Really, really impressed by both of them on Friday. And I hope, you know, there might be situations where we do need someone to drop in back into that left-hand side. Mm. But for whatever reason, if we can keep them in the middle to get the best out of them, I think that would be ideal. This left-hand side thing poses an interesting question, doesn't it? Because Pepe not being in the side meant that Saka could go over to that right-hand side Mm-hmm. And 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 Emil Smith Rowe could play on that left hand side, and Emil Smith Rowe, you know, he's really coming into to form as a box to box player, someone who's putting in you know a real shift up and down, and and you know he for me it was really really helpful covering in some of that some of those areas on the left hand side of the pitch mm. that maybe Saka doesn't feel as comfortable kind of operating in because he prefers playing on the right. Um, which I guess leads us to a, a broader question of, you know, why did it go so well um, versus other games? Is this a case where this is just a natural, this is natural progression, essentially? You know, these players, the more they play together, the better they are going to be. Or do we think that this 4-2-3-1 with the personnel that we had on the pitch is perhaps the right, the right ingredients to make this cocktail taste nice? <laughs> I think it's, I think... It's probably dependent on the opposition in the game. And I'm sure this was a very deliberate tactical plan, which worked rather than a case of, oh, like Arteta, I mean, Lacazette's playing really well. Mm. Let's play him. Although I did 
remember Arteta saying, I'm not sure if it was pre-game or post-game, where he said basically when Lacazette came on against Palace, he looked really good and that's when he decided that he needs to start. So maybe it's a bit of both that actually saying Odegaard probably isn't being as effective for now. Let's play Lacazette there. And also the system can generally work quite well because it was a 4-2-3-1, but at times it was a 4-4-2 and both of them went up top. So it, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we stuck with it against Leicester on Friday, on Saturday, um, because I think it gets the best out of more players. I think Smith yeah. Rowe is, yeah, he's so good that he can play anywhere, but I think having him on the, on a, in a wide position certainly gets the most out of him. And then I think it's just a case of, I think that front three, Abamyang, Saka on the right and Smithrow on the left is our best front three. And then I think it's just a question of, do you play Lacazette or do you play Erdegaard in that number 10 role? So, and then it, yeah, the, the players behind them, like I said earlier, kind of pick themselves. Mm. What I'm actually willing to accept in that scenario is that it doesn't necessarily, necessarily have to be a black and white answer. It doesn't necessarily have to be an answer where we say Laka is a better number 10 than, than Odegaard is. I think they are two players which clearly offer different things. They've got very, diff- very different skill sets. Okay? Yeah. Um, and a different situation might call for a different one of them. And mm. in a game, we might think that one way is the way to go. And if that doesn't work, then we change it up. And I think that's that's okay. I'm okay with that, right? You know, you know, I can make peace with that. Yeah, as long as we win, I don't really care. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I certainly think Lacazette played really well. And if you look purely on the basis of performance, he certainly deserves more minutes now than Odegaard does, who hasn't really started the season that well. Mm. If you look at kind of how we know he can play, mm-hmm. but um, no, I. If Odegaard come, came back inside, I wouldn't be, like, upset, for example. So, yeah, it very much depends. Let's, you know, I, I, I very much trust Arteta to make that choice based on the opposition we're playing, who's playing well, and who gets the most out of the rest of the team and the rest of the players on the pitch. Yeah, and, and right now you'd have to say that overall, the banter, everything, like Arteta's making more good choices than he's making bad ones. If we, uh, if we look at even the, you know, what the form table suggests, there's only, there's only Man City, Liverpool and, and Arsenal, I believe that haven't lost in the last six games. In, in fact, I think that it's the, it's the three of us, are the only three teams who haven't lost in the last five games, you know, and this is good company to be in, you know, that's a, it, there's, there's yeah, two I excellent think teams. If you look at the last two performances, yeah, in the space of a week, we saw, improvement and we saw a trend in the right direction and there were some clear flaws on Monday and it looked like they were addressed on Friday. And I think as fans, that's that's all we really ask for is, you know, we we accept that this team isn't going to win the Premier League this season. But what we do want to see is mistakes corrected. And, you know, we said, okay, we aren't creating enough chances in the first half of the first few games of the season and the attack looked a bit blunt. Um that looked like it was fixed. We never really had issues with the defence, but that's continuing to be stable. So as long as we have more Aston Villa at home performances rather than the Crystal Palace at home performances, then I think generally people start to get quite excited and quite appreciative of the the project, as you call it. Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, when we have a performance like we did... um, 
and we're we're doing a podcast after that. I think we can afford to just really, really focus on the positives, right? Because <laughs> you know yeah, we're yeah. going to have plenty of game to focus on negatives. So, so I'm going to continue to do that. And I'll, Emil Smith wrote. So, I mean, it, we we really have to call him out, don't we? Uh, I mean, listen, we're we're an Arsenal podcast. We're Arsenal season ticket holders. We're probably liable to be a bit biased sometimes. Um, Jamie Carragher isn't an Arsenal uh, supporter. <laughs> he's not an Arsenal season ticket holder. He's a he's an ex-Liverpool player who said on Sky that he believes that Emile Smith-Rowe is the best player in the Premier League right now at running with the ball. Yeah, that's it's quite a claim, isn't it? I. But would you disagree with him, <laughs> I guess? That's the question. Um, I, I think there's a form question to be that i think uh, uh, smith rose i think in, in good form i think i'm very hesitant to really make statements about arsenal players in terms of they are the best at this or best at yeah, that yeah. until we actually achieve something that's fair I think um, that's very fair and so it's it's kind of like if we, if we take an example right like um you know mason mount scores a hat-trick against norwich i i have to be honest like i've I've gone back and forth between whether I think Mason Mount is that good a player. Last season, there were times where I thought he was a very good player. Um, you know, he, he didn't really make much of an impact for England. And and this season, I've really thought he's been all that good. But at the same time, he is still a player who's put in assist in the Champions League final and has a Champions yeah. League winner's medal. And he's still a player <laughs> who's part of a team who, who may go on to win the Premier League. As until our players start doing that, I'm very hesitant of calling them the best at anything. And it doesn't really matter, to be honest. Like, who cares if they're the best yeah. or they're the fifth best or even the tenth best? If he's performing like he is, mm. it, that's irrelevant. As long as he's performing and Arsenal are winning, yeah. then that's that's all that matters. But look, let's not, you know, let's not do him too much disservice. He is playing very, very well. And he, in my opinion, if you look at, you know, when he came in against against Chelsea that game where I can't remember when it was last year, two years ago mm-hmm. when he got his first start and he literally transformed this team. And yes, he's had blips here and there, but like you would expect a player of that age to have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But he has consistently performed really well. And I think you take him out of this team and we are a much, much worse team. And that's not, that's because simply, and he's playing not because he's a young player, but he is playing because he is one of the best players that we have in our squad right now yeah a hundred percent you can't argue with that i think you made a comment earlier which was exactly right he can play in so many different positions anywhere he plays he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll give you a big performance he was challenged by arteta last season um t- to score more goals you know arteta said that's something that he needs to work on he needs to get his his numbers up there were some some fans of ours who didn't react too well to Arteta publicly saying that. I was confused as to why they reacted so badly. Jamie Carragher also seems to have said that, you know, uh, to ESI, he's sort of, you know, made the comment around, you know, just that's an area of his game that if he can build on, he he will very quickly be a top, top, top player if he can add yep. that. And we're seeing that now, aren't we? Like he really, mm-hmm. he's getting into those positions. He's being direct. He's backing himself. When you're going to do that, when you when when you do those things, you'll get a bit of luck every now and again. His goal was a little bit lucky, but you know, it was also a product of him 
winning the ball back at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, really deep and legging it rapid the side of the pitch. Yeah, we saw yeah, the no. link-up play, didn't we, between Ober and him again, like it it happened against uh, Tottenham. I mean, do you think that's going to be a feature of us going forward? I hope so. And I thought also the the layoff that Ober played into Smithrow was was top class as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you saw Arteta's um, post-match comments, but he also mentioned something about Smithrow. I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but he said he's changed his lifestyle or he's changed, he's made changes to the way he lives his life. That's interesting. Um, I don't know what that is, whether it's, you know, less partying, better diet, you know, maybe he's cut out the the rice and curry. <laughs> 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 um, um, whatever he, whatever he's doing is, is, is clearly working. So, um, you know, if, if on the off chance that Emil Smith-Rowe is listening, you know, stick with it, mate. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think, look, I think there's a few final things to say about the game. Um, we score three goals and Emmy Martinez is named in team of the week. And, I, I, you know, the only conclusion I want to draw from that is if you... If you score team of the week. Yeah, 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 yeah. He even posted on his own Instagram. <laughs> Listen, if you're a goalkeeper and you're in team of the week and your team has uh, has conceded three goals, I think that just shows the kind of dominance the other team have. Yeah, but I also thought he was at fault. He could have done better for the first goal. Maybe. And yeah, he saved a penalty, but... He made a good save from Saka, although I think Saka should have finished that. Um, but... I think that's generous. I don't think he was... Yeah. Noted. Maybe everyone else was was rubbish. I mean... David De Gea was definitely not getting it this week. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going to talk about Man United a bit later. We absolutely are. Um, I, th- I think I would still say that, you know, our team is not clinical and, uh, yet. And I really do feel like if we can put in a performance like this, um, like we did against Villa and actually are a bit more clinical, have, have a day where that comes together, I think we could really give a team a pasting because, you know, it felt like if we were clinical, then, you know, the... the it could have got a bit messy against Villa, but you know, whatever the case, it's a win. It's three, one. We played extremely well. Um, I would agree with what you said at the beginning. I think it's the best performance we've had this season. Credit to the manager, credit to all the players, credit to the squad. You know, it, it, it was a squad thing. It was a squad victory. Um, and, um, you know, I'm really, really encouraged now as we look to our next couple of games. So like, and if we start looking and let's, let's just do that now. So we're not going to talk much about Leeds because, as I said, everyone may have actually watched the Leeds game. The Leeds game may have happened by the time people we might have lost. We might have lost. We, we, we may have lost. But I guess all that's left, all that we can probably say about that is likely to see um, some of the players who haven't been getting minutes. So maybe Odegaard will start, actually. Um, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Leno, probably. Leno, Maitland, Niles, those guys. You know, it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see if Balogun plays or, or, or if it's Eddie that plays. Um, Do you think Lacazette will play? No, I don't. Interesting. I don't think he'll play. I think after coming on as a sub on Monday and then after playing basically a full game against, um, you know, against Villa, I, I, I don't think well. And I, and I think he deserves a break. I think the mm-hmm. you know amount that he, the, how hard he worked. Um, so let's see. And you know, and I, and I wonder whether, like, I wonder whether Arteta will really look at it and kind of go, I've, I've really just got to use my squad that game. Like, if I if if he if he loses against Leeds at home playing a you know a second string yes okay you're gonna have the normal kind of arsenal twitter fallout or whatever but the, yeah. but the level-headed fans you know will look at it and go we've got leicester coming up this weekend that is a priority i yeah go on go on go on go on no i actually i actually don't think it's as much about resting players 
but it's more about actually needing to give the other players some minutes. So, you know, we aren't, we have a week off between most games. So I think if we had to play a first team, I don't think they're going to, yeah, we're going to put them at serious risk of injury or anything. I don't think it's, yeah, this is one midweek game. We we have one midweek, midweek game every every month nowadays. It's so rare. But but this is a rare combination itself, right? Because this is three games in eight days. Because we had the Monday, yeah. Friday, and Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, fair right. enough. Yeah. But then we've got yeah, we've got Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Either way, I think yeah, it's we could we could get through that fairly easily if we needed to. I don't think it's hmm. a huge issue. I think the bigger issue is there are a lot of squad players, especially the defenders. Um, that aren't getting any minutes whatsoever because we've almost now decided these are the 13, 14 players we're going to use in Premier League games. That's a good point. And actually, it's more important to have people ready and willing to step in. And there's a risk that some of these players could, you know, might not be match fit because, you know, players like Martinelli, players like Balogun, Eddie Nketiah, um, Maitland-Niles, who although he came on, doesn't really get that many minutes, Erdegaard. These players need to be ready to step up if and when we get an injury. So that is what I would prioritise more than just actually needing to rest players. Yeah, on the defender's point, right? Like I, because of what we discussed before and the fact that it feels like, you know, we've got a good system going on and I think there's good habits and behaviours that are going on as a collective. You know, if 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 Tierney is out or if Tommy Yasu picks up a knock or whatever, if, if it's those guys in isolation, like, you know, I think I'd be... I think I'd feel okay. Um, mm. I, I'm I'm very very nervous about the idea of Ben White or Gabriel getting injured. Oh yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ben White, Gabriel, and Tommy Asu. I think just leave them, <laughs> leave them out. It's not worth it. No, it, um, it isn't. I mean, what, but what do you think? Do you think that Mari and and Holding will be looking at what's happened? We be looking at the fact that actually those two have established themselves as our as our number one and number two, and rightfully so. They've completely. They're just a fantastic partnership already. Full stop. Yeah. Like, uh, do you think they will raise their game? Do you think holding and, and no? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I think they might try to, but I don't think they will. Like, I, do I think they'll raise their game enough to get into the Premier League squad? No. Um, you know, just even thinking about a back four of Cedric holding Marie and yeah, it'd probably be Tavares or maybe someone else at left back, Maitland Niles, maybe. Um, that that is throwback to. A bad time, <laughs> a bad period for us. I so, completely agree. <laughs> um, let, let's see. Hopefully, the opposition, maybe Leeds, might rest some players as well and rotate a bit. They've got a few injuries. I think Rafinha went off injured, and Bamford's still out. I think so. No, I mean, let's not spend too much time on it. But yeah, I think I'm looking forward to seeing the squad players. It'll be something different. But at the same time, let's give other players minutes and actually make like, players like Pepe. Players like Martinelli, players like Erdegaard, if he plays, uh, Eddie, Balogun, um, they should be pushing to be like, okay, well, if it is nil-nil in the next Premier League game, I want to be the player that comes on. Yeah, agree. Um, and that's what this game is for. I, I completely agree. I mean, like, and, and Martinelli, you feel, is 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 knocking, but probably realises he has to knock a little bit harder because it would have been very easy to jump on the manager if we hadn't have won against Villa mm. um, and say, why didn't you give Martinelli a chance after he was also quite energetic? But, you know, he's, you know, Martinelli has to look at it and go like, I've got to work really hard to get in this team and this is what top level football is about. Um, I think you're right. I think, you know, 
I think he'll play on on Tuesday, and let, let's let's see how that goes. Um, let let's let's look at Leicester, mate. So, um, Leicester's the early kickoff on the Saturday. Um, we're away from home. Um, we're on a decent run. Leicester have have done okay over the last few three games. Um, I think they I think they're unbeaten in three, but um, but they've also had a bit of a weird season ish. Like mm-hmm. they're not really defending that well they are finding goals from different areas pats and dakas like you know he's starting to step up and yeah. that looks okay but we've got a decent record at the king power stadium in recent years i think we've got some quite good memories there you know we won last mm-hmm. last time and and um, three one i think right yeah yeah, yeah. um what, so what, what do you think what, what are your feelings um what's your gut telling you about how that game's going to go and how we'll approach it i it's the first kind of real test of the kind of new arsenal if oh yeah, you know, post, the not, post, not the pre- yeah. yeah, not the first, not the first three no, game, no, Arsenal, no, 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 no. The, the new Arsenal. That's um, never happened. Of uh, like a measure of okay, this is a this is kind of level that we should be at, really. Like we should be competing with Leicester, competing with Spurs, competing for that fifth, maybe even fourth place, mm. and um, we will finally see like okay, how good? Okay, fair enough. Like we beat Norwich, we beat Aston Villa, we beat Burnley, we beat Spurs, who were all four on their day. But this is a, a, a proper test. And there was, you know, there's that game against Brighton where I thought we were up against a team that was very good and we didn't really play that well. So I'm hoping we can just continue this run of form and can, can continue the performance and the energy levels that we saw against um, Villa because, you know, Leicester have a, a very strange team. They, they're still trying to transition away from the Jamie Vardy dependence. And yeah, Pats and Dak has come in, but they're still... Um, a bit all over the place at the moment mm. so i'm hoping we can turn up there with energy with you know a good mentality to press and win the ball back and tackle well and then i hope yeah you know, i don't think we'll get as many chances as we did against villa but when we do get them i really hope we take them but but leicester have got a, you know they've got a defense which is in a similar sort of situation to villa i think where there's just there's something that's not quite working at the moment and um you know if we if we can take advantage of that that would be that would be ideal because i think you know leicester are like you say you know they're they're a team that we need to watch quite carefully and consider as um someone that you know that they effectively are a them and spurs are kind of that real buffer really i think you probably say west ham now to the yeah. rest of that kind of that that upper echelon which you know let's talk at about least that's that. what yeah. you'd assume based on previous performance yeah, yeah, and yeah. kind of where how teams have started the league are we above them in the league now or are we still um we i mean are below them they are ninth um oh well, well, well i mean we've got the same amount of points okay um but um yeah so they are i'm just looking at the kind of stats so you know, I mean, we. I mean, you know, we've conceded a lot of goals overall. I mean, Leicester have conceded more. Leicester have conceded fifteen goals this season, um, and we got that. Our goal difference is only really bad because of, of the, that City game, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. I think we've kept four clean sheets in the last six. I, I want to say, mm. um, uh, you know, we, we really deserved one against Villa. To be honest, that was really disappointing. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but anyway, the point is they concede goals. They still score goals. You know, they've got fifteen. They've scored fifteen goals this season, which is relatively high. That I think that's probably one of the top top six or seven um but um but it, it feels like whichever which it feels like if Leicester turn up and we don't Leicester win if we turn up and Leicester don't then we win it, it feels like we're relatively kind of 
we're relatively kind of even matched when it comes to kind of the overall ability to beat a team on our day. Yeah, I think if we do win, it will be confirmation that we are progressing as a team, mm. is in my opinion. That you look at the league table, I think it, it will be confirmation that we've put those first three games behind us and that you know Spurs itself on its own wasn't a, a blip of positivity. It was actually a sign of things actually progressing and we can start to become really excited about this team. The concern is if we, and this is also possible, that if we are quite flat and we throw in another performance like we did against Brighton away, for example, then, you know, the, the questions will be, okay, well, like, what is this team? Where are we? Mm. And are we actually just going to be this inconsistent mess for the whole season? Which is also quite likely. We could get a very flat performance and we could just go from, like, the Villa... We could have one Villa game, one Palace game, one Villa game, one Palace game, and just be very frustrating and unable to put a run together. But I think, yeah, what's really important now is we take advantage and start to build some momentum because we've got we've got this game, then we've got Watford before we go to Liverpool. So it's it's important that we start to find that momentum and just start to pick up wins regularly and build on the confidence that Friday gave us. Completely, because you know, we've said this season, we've, we've not really been a side who's been able to put two good performances back to back, really. Exactly, um, yeah. But this has been our best performance. So you're going to hope that, you know, we can follow up our best performance of the season with a with a better performance. And I, I, I think it comes down to, um, it comes down to behaviours and it comes down to kind of what teams can do on the automatic. It, like If we, mm-hmm. and we can go and talk about Liverpool in a second because I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, but, uh, it feels like our team have relatively quickly, not, not quickly in terms of, you know, Arteta's been around for a while now, but I mean, uh, you know, the, this back five, it feels like they've got very good defensive behaviours. They are doing things quite automatically. The idea... You and know, they're not doing stupid things either. That's, <laughs> they're not doing that's stupid things. Up. And they're yeah. just all... They desperately want to keep a clean sheet. So so, uh, so uh, Gary Neville said it when he was talking about... Um, uh, 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 you know about the Man United Liverpool game, and he basically made a comment. He was saying, he "said Where's the effect of not conceding goals, clean sheets? It's it's a way of life mm-hmm. because that, yep. that that you you have to live that way." I look at those guys, and it looks to me like they live that way. When I look yep. up and see that Baff, I see that just for passion and how much how desperate they are. Now, so so when I look at these behaviours, it looks like defensively it's repeatable. We haven't seen the attacking behaviours be repeatable yet we haven't seen no. you know and and i guess le- like like you say leicester will tell us a lot about about that right yeah i yeah and i liked like i said the reason i was quite happy with the performance on on friday was not only did we defend well but we we combined that with the attack mm. and actually although we we didn't keep a clean sheet i was still really happy with the defensive performance and i won't mind if we lost you know i'd rather almost I'd rather we won that game 3-1. I was happy with that than if we had, you know, scored a scrappy goal and won it 1-0 with, like, backs against the wall defending. Like, that's not how I... I don't see a good defensive team as backs against the wall defending. I think a good defensive team is the team that stops chances from even being created in the first place and stops dangerous possession. And, and Villa didn't have that. They And if that means, okay, we're going to concede one goal because they score a worldie because they shoot from outside the box or... Which was and they scored a really good goal. That that's okay. I don't mind. I don't need clean sheets, but I need good defensive performances. 
You're totally, you're completely accurate. I I was having this conversation um, with a couple of people recently, actually, where, you know, I've been very vocal about my confidence in us defensively at the moment. And Mm -hmm. the reason I say that is because of what you're saying. So for me, you know, even with that, we were conceding the two goals against Palace. um, I'm not looking at there are games where we've kept a clean sheet and and I've looked at us and still thought, oh, I'm really, I'm not yeah. sure about these guys. But it's like that, the Brighton game, right? That was, that yeah. was a nil-nil, right? Yeah, yeah, nil-nil, exactly. Yeah. And, and it could be a dogged display and whatever, but but we look assured, at, you know, they just look like they know what they're doing and, and, and I'm not as worried. And, and you know what? If we do make a mistake at some point, I'm probably going to be able to put that down to just, you know, a random occurrence that happens. And like you say, like, if you're gonna, if you concede a consolation goal in the 82nd minute, which is a banger, and it was a banger, what they what they yeah. scored, I don't care about that as long as we've already scored three goals. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like whatever. And yeah, and these mistakes, you know, the Palace game, yeah, you'd rather players weren't making mistakes like that. But let's let's be honest, two mistakes from central midfielders, players, yeah, players who you hope wouldn't regularly make mistakes, mm. and also they. Palace finished them both really, really well. Probably um, point exactly. So. Um, Let's see. I mean, it's still very early days to to identify a trend, but you know, you, you know, just how like I don't know. You know, when this is probably a really bad analogy to make, but you know, when you like during lockdown, when you looked at the COVID numbers, and you're like, oh, maybe that like I think these numbers are slightly edging down towards like the way you want them to edge. <laughs> um, it looks like we're starting to like become a good team. Um, yeah. but we can't quite yet tell. We just have to wait a little while longer to be like, okay, we need a few more weeks data to um, to work out if this is like, are we moving in the right direction or is this just a blip? Mm. But I'm I'm encouraged. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, me, me too, mate. Look, and it was it was just a really encouraging display. So what? Let's just let's kind of end our Leicester preview with that. Where do you? I mean, do, what do you think is going to happen? What's your prediction for Leicester? I think we will win two one. Excellent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with the same result as last season. I'm gonna go for a three one victory. Wow. Okay. Um. So yeah, but I think we're both. The fact that we're both, <laughs> we've both said a win means we probably won't win. Um, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. But uh, yeah. Okay. Listen. We have to talk about one of the biggest talking points um, in football, like this this week, um, for so many reasons. Because, and we don't on the Arsenalics podcast, we don't often talk about things outside of Arsenal. We talked about the Newcastle situation um, because that was a big situation. Liverpool beating Man United five nil at Old Trafford, four um, nil at half time. A complete, just brutal brutal like annihilation humbling like whatever you want to call it um and a manager who has got his job very much on the line i mean mate what were your thoughts about that game i just thought it was hilarious i don't know i don't think there's anything else to say um i i can't believe that ollie gunnar is still in charge i think he's a really nice guy um but like what? What are they doing? <laughs> like what are they doing? Keeping him, and it just you know I like I think you've you've probably said this a few times, Raj, which is this Man United team is like one of the most ex- expensively assembled squads 
in footballing history. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to that, they've added Cristiano Ronaldo this summer, uh, Rafael Varane and Jadon Sancho, you know, top players, you know, top players and like one of the world's best players. Mm. And I still don't really understand what, they just seem very confused. I still, I don't think they're a bad team. It's, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're, yeah, they can, but they're, they're, they're just a mess, which I think is what it is. And I don't know whose fault that is. Is it, is it the manager's fault? Probably. But like, if you're spending 400K a week and 30 million pounds, you know, you could probably get any central midfielder, defensive midfielder in the world for that, that kind of salary level. But instead they went and bought Cristiano Ronaldo when they didn't really need him. Mm. Um, so you do have to question, like, why is the team being built in this way? It just reminds me of Arsenal when we just went out and bought players with no real strategy. And I wonder if Man United are doing that. And I think, you know, people say, oh, they, they'll get rid of Solskjaer and get someone else in. Let's just say they get Antonio Conte in. I don't think he can win the league with this team. Um, I think he would need three, four, five windows to get them close to challenging for the title. That's so, so interesting. You, you, wow. So you, okay. So you, you genuinely think there is still a quality issue in that squad? I think there's a balance issue in the squad. Um, like, I'm not saying that some of these players, like Ronaldo is Ronaldo. You have him in the squad. I'm not saying sell Ronaldo, but I'm saying, would you rather have Ronaldo? Would you rather have two top level central midfielders in that squad to go alongside a Fernandez who's probably not being held back by Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and then would you add, yeah, you probably do need one or two more, but then you, you look like their strikers who they've got, they've got Cavani who I actually really, really like, but doesn't seem to be able to play more than one game a week and has issues with his fitness and, and stuff. And then you've got Greenwood, Rashford, Marshall, who, who probably aren't, you know, elite yet. I think Greenwood's got potential. Um, and then you've, you've got like players like McTominay and Fred. Um, and, and you've got Maguire, who I think is just so wildly inconsistent. Um, so, yeah, I think they're a, a top four team. Uh, but I don't think they're a... I think they're miles off from being a, a title-challenging team for now. I, to be honest, there's not that much more I can I can add to what you said because I don't I don't watch Man United for ninety minutes every week, um, but whenever I've seen them this season, um, sorry, let me rephrase. Post Ronaldo coming in, um, yeah. I don't want to say this is Ronaldo's fault, but whenever I've seen them post that, they just look like a bunch of individuals who have just turned up and have been asked to play football together. Like it, hmm. it, it just seems really weird. Like, and we can relate to that, right? Because there's loads of there've been loads of times where I've watched Arsenal loads. and said we look like a bunch of individuals who've just asked been asked to play football together. Absolutely. Um, but then you know those times we can probably look at it and look at those players and go like you know what do you expect with some of those players? But you know you've got again we go but you've got uh, this 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 top goalkeeper allegedly top goalkeeper you know highest paid goalkeeper in the world I think he still is you know left back that I'm pretty much he was the most I'm pretty sure he was the most expensive left back in the world when they signed him. Juan Bissaka mm-hmm. cost fifty million at right back. You've got Harry Maguire who was I don't know eighty million or whatever. They've got this 
Varane. Varane, who, did Varane play yesterday? He didn't even he didn't play yesterday, but you can't, they can't even say they're missing Varane because he hasn't kept a clean sheet since they signed him. Yeah. So it's not even about that. You know, Lindelof's there. The central midfield, you've commented, said you're right. It is a bit baffling that, you know, they're kind of going with Fred and McTominay, but I don't watch Man United enough and maybe there is more to it than, than you know, being so simplistic as to say that when you've got Pogba and when you've got um, Van der Beek in your squad mm. as well, um, and you've got, you know, obviously Fernandez who does start or whatever, when you've got those three on paper at least, those are like three well, expensive and like, you know, pretty big name footballers. Uh, yeah. So I think what really annoys me though is, you know, Man United are probably one of three or four clubs that can afford to just fix this by spending even more money. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And, you know, if they want to go and replace, yeah, signing Ronaldo on 400k a week isn't going to stop them from signing another 50 million pound central midfielder next summer. Or yeah, yeah at what point, do they run out of money and say like we've spent too much we are going to pay for this they're not going to pay for their mistakes um and that that really annoys me because if we had done that and we had assembled this team there would be no that would set us back five six years yeah like when we signed Urzel, when we signed uh various other players and it those contracts held us back from signing new players i don't i mean i don't know man united's finances that well i don't think Man United are going to be able to to like be held back, and that that's the real worry. That if they do get a good manager in, if they do finally get a proper director of football, I don't know when then they've got a new guy coming in. I think um, so when they do finally sort their boardroom out, you know they can still compete, and that that's annoying. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and there's so much left of the season anyway, right? So unfortunately, we might have to enjoy this turmoil while it lasts. I mean, yeah, I, I guess the direction of travel is such that we are level on points now. And, you know, after the after three games, the first three games of our season where we didn't score a goal and we, we lost three, um, to be on the same points as, as, as a team assembled in that way, who, you know, after we had lost these three games and scored no goals, they've, you know, added Cristiano Ronaldo or whatever. And you think, Jesus, how can we close a yeah. gap on a team like that? And now we're level on points. It is it is quite ridiculous. Um, do you think, you know, look, we shouldn't talk too much about this, but although it's so much fun, like, but um, I guess we'll just close it off by, do you think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be sacked this season? Hmm... No, thankfully. <laughs> um, uh, I think they will give him till the end of the season. Mm. And unless, I think, unless they start dropping to like seventh, eighth place, I think they'll be in and around. You know, what's interesting now is at the start of the season, after I watched Man United after the first couple of games, I was like, top four is out of question for a team like Arsenal. Um but what it seems like now is Liverpool look phenomenal, City look phenomenal, Chelsea look very, very, very good, bordering on phenomenal. Um, but everyone else is just very good or good. And if we can be one of those very good or good teams, then, you know, fourth place might be might be up for grabs, which is quite exciting. Totally. Um, so, but, so I think, do I think he'll get sacked? No, but if they are not in and around those teams fighting for fourth place and they start, you know, dropping to like eighth or ninth, then I think there might be a question to be asked. When there's a real danger that they won't get Champions League, I think that's when he might be at risk. Yeah, and I would have agreed with what you said about um, 
yeah, I think thinking they would stick with him. I think something really interesting seems to have happened in the press over the last 24 hours, which and I think this is an increasing thing with player power or whatever, but it, what it really seems like is now all these stories are coming out about the players losing faith in, in Ollie and senior players not thinking he, he knows what he's doing and that kind of stuff. I think when that starts happening you got to worry a little bit because some of these outlets that are being reported are actually quite reputable outlets. These aren't random mm-hmm. ones. And you wonder sometimes, yeah. is that players talking via their PR teams or, 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 you know, or their agents who are kind of fueling this and actually those players don't believe, they genuinely don't believe in Ollie anymore. Um, I would personally, if I was a, if I was a, you know, a top player at Man United, if I was, you know, a Ronaldo, um, even if I was a, a, a Bruno Fernandes, Pogba, you know, you name it. I probably would be looking at it going, I need to be at a team that's doing better than this. I'm that I'm good enough to do that. And Man United are, are a huge club. They should be that team. I probably would be hoping for a new manager to come in. Um, and I wonder, and you know, Pogba seems to be that sort of player where I imagine that if a new player comes in, he'll probably give a million percent to prove that, you know, yeah, yeah, of this is, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I love Pogba as a player. I think he's he's so good, but... There is again a bit like a bit like Mesut Ozil. There is a lot of noise yeah, around him. There is completely, and I just wonder if it's worth saying like, like you're great, but actually for the sake of the team, we would like you to go and you know play your football elsewhere. Mm. Um, Bruno Fernandes doesn't seem like that type of player, um, but yeah, I do wonder. You know how I wonder. I wonder what the, the mentality is at, at Man United. I wonder what. You know, if they're really, you know, maybe not, they're just in a weird place where they probably know that, look, we're not good enough to win the title, but we probably are going to get fourth or fifth place. Um, and what their expectations are this, this summer, because, you know, we were saying at the start of the season, um, Man United, for the amount of money they spent, they should be fighting for the title, mm, right? 100%. But do you, do you, I, I guess the question I ask you is, do you think anyone at Man United genuinely believe that they're going to be fighting for the title this season? Not now. No. Not, Do you think they did at the start of the season? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. They finished second last season. Yeah, but they were miles off, right? Yeah, but you think... Yeah. Okay, so, right, granted. So they were miles off. They finished. They still finished second, and then they added Varane, Sancho, yeah. Ronaldo. You you basically added one of the greatest players that have ever, that's ever played football and, <laughs> yeah. and the most decorated centre-back in European football right now. Um, yep. And Jaden Sancho, who was yeah, like promising yeah. young players and exactly, in the exactly. Yeah. So when you do that, you sort of think, well, you know, if you're not going to get close doing that, like, you know, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, so I, I completely think that they, they show. And I, again, I'd say at the beginning of the season, I think if you if if you had a top manager there with that that group of players, then I think even you know opposition like. Uh, Put it this way, it wouldn't have just been Man United thinking that they could they could do that. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. But I think like I so I something that I've changed my mind on is I, you know at the beginning of the season I said to some friends I said like when you have a squad that's been assembled for that kind of money and again as you know as you said I, I'm pretty sure it could be look someone can validate this for me someone can 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 tell me I'm wrong I'm pretty sure that even before this summer it was the most expensive squad ever assembled in football, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most expensive, not in terms of squad value, because I think if you, you know, you can find whatever, whatever kind of 
what whatever websites do that you know can correct me but in terms of purely money paid it was already and so my my point that i said was when you have when you're spending that levels of money when it's that good then surely all you need is a basic competent manager to be in there to just to just put in very basic structures and very basic principles in place and the players are just should just be good enough to be a very good side you know you're basically you know to some degree assembling a galactico type team i was wrong about that like you know clearly that's not the case clearly that isn't the case um united in some ways seem to have digressed in in kind of behaviors and and, and tactics etc so clearly need more than that maybe they've assembled a squad which are that kind of high profile where you need a, a manager almost like you know an authoritarian respected Fabio Capello. I don't know. You know, maybe it's someone like that that you need. I, I don't they've know. Tried, they've tried it all, have they? They tried the the kind of young, up and coming manager mm. in Moyes. Mm. They've tried the experienced continental coach. They've tried the short term fix in um, Jose Mourinho and the win at all costs. The win at all costs manager. And now they've tried the club legend. So. Um, yeah, they have. Well, what next? I wonder if it's a timing thing though. So, like with Van Hal, like. Uh, there's a lot of Man United fans who I spoke to who would suggest that Van Hal, although look, it wasn't look, it, it wasn't great. There were things that he was doing that actually made sense, like in terms of mm-hmm. kind of like tactically what he was trying to get them to do. Like it all kind of made sense. And with Jose, people kind of use this example. I think in a really they kind of say you know like they got one of the best managers that was around. You know, hugely decorated manager, etc. But like. Look, he's been a problem child at clubs, not just at Man United. He's just, oh, yeah. you know, he is a fairly unique character. Like, and, and so, uh, you know, I wonder whether now is the time where you you can get someone like a a Conte, for example, and he actually gets the most out of players like this because he's used to, you know, he's Conte is the the obvious shout, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And you would let's be realistic: if Man United got Conte, you would feel far more worried about them. Them with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge, especially oh, totally. if they continue to be able to spend as much as they have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea fans still talk so fondly about Conte. Yeah. You know, like, I think he, he has some kind of image which almost suggests that some people look at him and go like, oh, he is just this complete volatile character. Yeah. I'm not sure that's necessarily fair. Like, I, I, you know, I think he... He's a, he's a Premier League champion and it seemed like the season that he was sacked, he just really, really wasn't backed and, and you know, kind of mm-hmm. fell out. And he is someone who, who wants to be backed and he wants to kind of win the big trophy. So, and Man United will back you with money every bloody season. Exactly. So, That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, look, it's it's fun. We are, we are joint points with Man United. Long may it continue in terms of their decline. Hopefully, like, it, it, it does it does co- uh, it does carry on and there isn't a manager that comes in and gives it a quick fix because we are so early in the season you know there's a lot that can happen um but look i think we'll wrap there like uh, who knows um by this time uh in our next pod i think we're going to record after leicester right i'm not sure we'll record before <laughs> yeah leicester, I think so. so we'll have two games have gone by then we might know more about this team than we do right now um let's hope we can have another positive one because it was so much more fun <laughs> doing this than it was um it was being uh depressed as we have been sometimes this season but mm-hmm. i mean mate is there anything more you, you want to add before we close no no it's been fun cool and we should have mys back in the next episode um so Who? yeah he, basically he used to come on a bit ah, i don't know if you remember oh, him no no, no. I don't know. <laughs> proper essex 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. Drinks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he hopefully should be back. So, um, cool. So there'll be three of us anyway. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Thanks for joining us and, um, enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. <laughs>